love my delete later. I bloody hope you do. You can support our show by using the new ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. Just smash that link in the show description and support us now so we can keep making this podcast. Thank you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Might Delete Later with me, Stevie Martin, a person who feels social media is the bad guy in the movie of life that you really want to see overthrown or killed off. And me, Jeannie Martin, uh, who's Stevie's little sister and who feels it's actually the protagonist and the script just hasn't been written right. Our guest today is um, a French Moroccan political journalist who used to be the Evening Sanders political diarist and BuzzFeed's media political correspondent before she went freelance and then just worked for literally everyone from like Al Jazeera to The Mirror to just any any newspaper you've ever heard of she's written for. She's it. written a lot of words. She's also written the book Haven't You Heard? Gossips, Politics and Power, which is all about the importance of gossip and rumours in politics and how that's central to it. And it makes politics really accessible and funny for people and I've just bought it. It's a lovely episode we talk about oh my god we talk about tumblr for the first time which we've completely like, forgotten about she's probably the person who's been at the other end of one of the biggest tw- twitter pylons uh, and sort of when twitter turns against you that i've ever really seen and she talks about that as well and it's very very eloquent and very very balanced also like really liked how we chatted about deleting tweets because deleting tweets is often seen as kind of a sin in the social media world, even though this entire podcast will come out delete later. Um, but it wasn't deleting tweets as in when you've tweeted them, it was going back to your history and backlog and wondering, is it really great for me to have these 18-year-old tweets on here when I'm a journalist? So I found that the way she is empowered and like just does what she wants with her own platform, quite cool. Yeah, it's a really cool episode. So before we get to our guest, what is in your social media drafts this week, Steve Oid Martoyne? I hate TikTok. I'm really sorry. I tried to like it. I like it uh, academically. So I'm like, oh, fun, dancing. I've only been on it like properly twice. I've been on it and then I've like been like, oh, seven hours has gone by. And and I don't need that in my life. Like, I don't need something else. You don't need another you know, scroll hole. No, that's so, true. Exactly. Another platform of guilt. Exactly. That is not needed in your life. TikTok Thank is not you. your your priority and I don't want it to be. What's in your drafts? I went viral on TikTok. <laughs> Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was posting vitamin P and stuff, and then I did uh, that kind of story on Instagram about dressing how you want to dress, which we've already talked about, um, in an environment that wants you to assimilate into like a male archetype of power. I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll speak really... Because I talk very, very fast, and I've been told my whole life to slow down, and I never have. And um, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll just go real fast and do this mad little, uh, hey, you know what? And just do the whole conversation on Instagram, but just try and do it in like 15 seconds. And I just did that on TikTok, uh, just to see. And I just it just went viral, and it's got like, I don't know, two, something, half a million views, some shit. And what? Um, I realized that hey look this is actually probably a good platform because there's a lot of young people on here that aren't having these conversations and like when you 
you know, I'm not Gen Z and I'm engaging in Instagram, tw- Twitter, which they're probably like, see as like LinkedIn now. Yeah, so it's like, it well, why don't I just do these 50 seconds really fast? Like, hey, have you ever thought about blah, 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 blah? And I'm just educating on the upscaling law. That's all I'm doing. Oh, but there's loads wow. of kids on there. So hopefully that'll be good for educating some young people on their rights around their body. Well done. Thank you. Firstly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Marie. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. You are very much an interesting social media person that I have thought I wanted to go on for quite a while. We normally start by d- sort of deciding things that we would like to delete um, in the week. I feel just for like to set the bar, I'll go first because mine's incredibly low and lame. <laughs> I would like to delete foundations that don't have SPF in them because then yeah, you have to put good. sun cream on underneath, which is like a thing that I like to, I like to um, wear SPF. And my foundation got cancelled. No, not cancelled, discontinued. Um, so my <laughs> fave. So it got cancelled. It was... Yeah, it just fuck your foundation, tweet. yeah. That was my one. I've used it for years. Now to find a new skin, that's, that's hard. And... It doesn't, the one I found is excellent, doesn't have SPF in it. So See, like, this put, is like a thing that keeps coming up with you, is that remember when we had that conversation about wearing SPF and and I said, yeah, you have to put it on every day, even if it's not sunny, and you were like, really quietly, you were like, what? Yes. And this was like two years ago. Yes. And she got really, she was like, oh, so I haven't even been doing that right. And you got really no. upset about it. I was really upset. I was like, well, no one told me that. So I'd like to delete all foundations without SPF. And oh, so then the only options help you protect your face against the skin what the sun <laughs> that's a good one i'm deleting ethical deodorants because oh. me and geordie have well okay maybe not all ethical deodorants but maybe ethical deodorants that are rubbish which is most of them because me and geordie my partner have been trying to find one and we've bought like i don't know probably spent like 50 pounds on like over a period of months and i just ended up with like lots of like BO. bars of like yeah lots of bo lots of bars of just like nice smelling wax and then you put it on your armpits and it's like well i've just got waxy armpits that smell like kefir lime leaves or whatever but only for about four minutes and then i just smell like gross again and they just don't work i just don't believe in them i don't believe in them i don't think the technology's there yet and i want a formula that blocks my armpits from sweating yes good um marie what would you like to delete and is it beauty related i think now you've inspired me because actually reminded me of one of my biggest pet peeves no no no, which is okay right um why do beauty brands just cancel that like you know discontinue their products all the time and i feel like such an old lady complaining about this but i swear that you know i'll find like an eyebrow eyebrow pencil and be like yes it suits me it works great and then go back to buy it again like four months later and it stopped and it's all very confusing and there's new ones um and i hate that um so there you go so i think you know i'm I'm actually building up on your foundation thing i think just stop you know products are good there's no need for new products all the time life is complicated i'm very tired i don't always go like (laughs) like you know what what yeah like with mascaras they had like they went through that period of time i don't know if they still have it now where there's like one side is white and the other Mm. side is is black and you put the white on first and you put the black it was like a very french thing that apparently everyone not 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 french not french that is not french on behalf of france nationally i would like to say that one is not on us many things are on us good good to know actually you just brought up something there's quite is there a difference between French Twitter and UK, UK Twitter? Because obviously I wouldn't know because I don't speak it, but you are 
multilingual? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, <clears throat> I'm not sure I really follow enough people on French Twitter to really know that because I only kind of follow like a few, like a few French political journalists and journalists in general, and like my actual friends. But that's it. So I'm not sure. I'd say there's uh, there's definitely a lot less uh, chatting about class. I would say like that is not a thing that France does, which is so nice. It's so nice, you know, to just be able to tweet and not have someone say, "Well, you know, sounds like someone's very middle class." And it's like, no, I don't. You know, I was tweeting about please don't French media Twitter above all enjoys talking about French media Twitter and that's nice because you know that yeah. that's not Britain you know journalists everywhere just really enjoy talking about each other and about themselves and about journalism um but yeah apart from that that's yeah, nice it's quite it's quite similar I think class the class thing is quite interesting because that is something that you cannot move on Twitter for that like I'm to the extent where you know, often I get worried that I've got I think I'm the wrong one and I have to I've, had, I've looked it up and like I've done the online test of like what class are you because I'm like I'm a foreigner I'm not actually sure like I thought it was quite straightforward but it turns out there's so many different markers yeah no, no I, I agree like I've been like am I yeah am I lying am I very confusing but also again you, you never I... know what you're gonna say and then it's just gonna be like it's now about class that's like, surprise um yeah i hate that yeah. <laughs> that is the baseline isn't it class is the baseline so it seems to always come back to that almost yeah i find it interesting when when someone does very well because of like a creative pursuit or something and like i don't know it's a great tv show or great and you just know that immediately and i do it sometimes but the first thing that most people are doing are like on the wikipedia page like <laughs> how rich are their parents like, how we'd be like oh well that's why it's so good which obviously there's a big classified in the arts but it is funny how much it like immediately happens like okay so we're supposed to cancel that person because they were yeah, born I feel to like a rich family it's it used to fault. be it used to be like in the 90s and noughties it was like i remember everyone was like with the celebrity or someone in the public eye it was like how much did they weigh which was like the most mm. googled thing which was really problematic and not cool but now it seems to be like where did they go to school just for people who obviously know you now and all the work you've done and you've written for almost every platform pretty much and you've published a really successful book as well so how did you get into journalism and where were you before and and tell us a bit about how you got into the job you're into in now and why you're so well known oh uh I think I'm going to do a slightly longer story but I think because it's it's sort of relevant to the theme of this podcast I guess given that it's about the internet and everything but um so when I was 15 I so I really loved like indie music and stuff like that you know so like boys and bands with guitars and so on um and and I really wanted to launch because my whole thing was that obviously Britain had you know the NME obviously and had lots and lots of different blogs but France didn't really have any so it had clearly like a demand like those bands were quite successful in France but didn't really have media catering to them um and so with the you know so like typical bravado of a 15 year old I was like well you know and here I come so I will launch a website <laughs> um which I um deeply embarrassingly called MD Amazing um despite oh obviously God. never having done MDMA because I was fucking 15 um but yeah but I thought it was cool I mean obviously terrible as well because French people didn't know what that meant or how to pronounce it so I just have to deal with people who are like MD Amazing MD which is mortifying um but, um, but you yeah, know, so I did that and actually um, in, in a sort of, not to brag, but I think basically my bet was the right one and that the website ended up being quite successful. And so by the time I was 17, that we had a team so like between France and Belgium and Switzerland and covered lots of gigs and lots of like different things, interviewed lots of bands, et cetera. So I kind of did that. 
Um, actually, MD Amazing for a short amount of time had a Wikipedia page not created by us, uh, and which was deleted that's, after that's, a month. That's an amazing hallmark. Uh, it, yeah. it yourself, that's great. It was, however, it was deleted after like three weeks for being not relevant. Um, so you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I kind of did that and that kind of, I guess, got me into journalism um, and also obviously helped me practice my English because I interviewed quite a lot of bands and that's basically um, a better way to learn English than just learning it at school. Um, and yeah, so I kind of ended up uh, in Britain and then studied um, journalism because that was kind of like my thing. Um, and I, was, no, I think I actually joined Twitter in 2010, 2011 uh, during the student process. Um, yeah, because, well, is it 20? Oh, yeah, God, you've got the data. We checked, yeah. Um, but yeah, in 2011, during the student protest, because obviously, you know, these were the first sort of like proper, like big social media protests. And like, if you're part of the movement, you know, it was kind of the dumb thing to have a Twitter account and you sort of like live tweet the protests you went on and where the police was, etc. Um, so kind of, yeah, creating an account for that. Um, but then actually really enjoyed it because um, I'd always enjoyed social media anyway. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so I graduated in 2013 and then worked at a bunch of places, uh, including the Mirror and the Telegraph, etc. Then ended up uh, at Evening Standard Diary in 2015, um, which is a sort of like gossipy uh, column. And ended up kind of doing politics there. So I became the political diarist at Evening Standard, did that for a while, had a lot of fun. Uh, then was the BuzzFeed politi- uh, politics and media correspondent for a bit. That was less fun. Um, and so I left that just over three years ago uh, and went freelance and now I write uh, features about politics uh, as, as a freelancer. And I do, I don't know, bunch of, I don't know, I do stuff. It's a weird thing about being freelancer. I do things. People pay me yeah. and I do things. I provide services. <laughs> You make politics quite accessible, I think, as well, because you're quite, because you're really, apparently, I haven't read your book, I've actually just ordered it this morning when me and Steve were talking about it, I was reading about it, but it seems like it's really funny and there's like humour in it and it's made accessible because I think a lot of people are intimidated by politics and to have someone like you who's talking about it in a way that feels accessible, it's almost like, you know, you have the word gossip in the title of your book and it's like, it feels like you can get into it a bit more because a lot of stuff is quite dry and quite intimidating. Mm. I feel like that's very like valuable. Especially on Twitter as well. That is something that you do very, very well because you sort of tweet very like incisive political commentary amid fun stuff yeah it's relatable and accessible it's probably partly because um so i didn't obviously i didn't study politics um the reason i got into politics which um is a very long story i've told many times but i can do the short version of it uh, which was that when i was 18 and it was a end of the first year of my degree I went to the gig uh of a band where I fancied like one of the guys um and then after the gig he was just like hey we're having an after party in my house you should come and I was like oh my god it's finally gonna happen I'm finally gonna get with that guy uh and so we went to his house um and then the second we got there he started hitting on someone else which was very awkward for me because I didn't know anyone there um but also out of weird stubbornness I was like I'm not leaving I'm here now um, you never know what may happen. Um, and turns out it was the night of the 2010 election, uh, which was on the telly in the corner for some reason, because occasionally the telly is on at house parties and you never know why. Um, and yeah, and so I just sat down with a bottle of wine um, and, and watched the election out of social awkwardness um, and just found it really fun. Um, and that was kind of that. Um, <laughs> I just sound slightly ashamed to admit this, but I'm actually not at all. Uh, but a lot of what I know about political history is basically that I fell into a rabbit hole of like, politics tumblr which was a big thing in around sort of like 2014 2015 uh it was called lolitics uh, which was very old internet now and basically <laughs> a lot of what i know is just having had to like try and reverse engineer memes of being like i don't know who that person is or why that's funny so try and google and be like oh neil kinnock right got it uh, but yeah so basically i think like because because my you know what i know about politics 
I did not learn in a normal, dull way. So I couldn't really talk about it like that, I think, because that's not how I learned it. That makes a lot of sense. I can't believe this. That's the first time we've talked about Tumblr on this podcast. The best website, the best website. It's so so great. great. Uh, just a lot of Tom Hiddleston uh, would often pr- crop up when I was a celebrity journalist. And I'd have to find something funny. I'd be like, I guess I'll just search Tom Hiddleston on Tumblr and something funny will like come up because he was so prevalent on there. Mm. But I would see how, yeah, how like the memes and stuff like that, like how that it was so much more, what's the word, community based than I was using it in like 2013. Where I would just be like, dear diary. And I'd like, <laughs> do a diary entry and then leave Tumblr and be like, very good like no one was reading <laughs> and there's a whole like culture on there and it felt like a nice culture as well i mean taylor swift still uses it like prolifically now and Ooh. and that's part of her huge fandom base is that she's created this community that's like people aren't using it there really and she's still got that massive tumblr community base i had no idea that it had a politics what lolitics is just brilliant uh, it was great so it was a weird mix of like so i i had a slightly fraught relationship with uh the lolitics fandom because uh, some of it, I'm sorry, like, you know, because part of it, I was like, you know, I'm genuinely enjoying this. This is interesting and funny. But other stuff was like, come on, like there was a massive George Osborne fandom for a while. It's just a bunch of weird teenagers who were extremely horny for George Osborne. Um, <laughs> it was like the Ed, the Ed Miliband thing where everyone did that come from Tumblr like uh, the I Ed think, Miliband but that was the vibe so like the, the mini fandom like in terms of vibe like that very much came from the Tumblr thing of like the photoshopping uh, flower crowns and politicians and stuff like that didn't really start with a mini fandom that was already something that existed on Tumblr and I remember like one of the ones that haunted me the most I think and to this day still was a picture of Andy Burnham I want to say there was a flower crown and like slightly like kawaii eyes because you know he's got very long eyelashes um, and the caption was you know, written in sort of like pink, gloopy, like glittery thing was like, my lashes are longer than your dick. Oh I saw that in like 2014 and I'm still just like, <laughs> I'm not okay. Fundamentally not okay. Oh my God. But yeah, so that is basically ridiculous. how I got... I don't think people understand this stuff's happening. It's like kids in a, in a playground being like, this, what about this? What about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. There's something quite joyful about it. And, yeah, and I feel know. like it, it teaches you. So I've been so I've been on Tumblr for longer than I've been on Twitter or Facebook. So I think I joined Tumblr in 2008. Um, so I'm a Tumblr grandmother, I'm a Tumblr elder. Um, but no, but so what I really like about it is I think it sort of teaches you a sort of like quiet acceptance of life. But, you know, you'll read something and be like, I, you know, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't understand why it's there. I don't get why anyone would write it or what it's about. And that is fine. That is okay. Every episode, I go back with a little code and I try and find each guest's first ever post. And I literally couldn't find yours. I delete my tweets. Marie deletes her tweets. Tell us why. I, I think partly it's just that, you know, on a very basic level, you know, the reason why I use Twitter now is not the reason why I used Twitter then. So, you know, in 2011, um, yeah. I was like a student activist and that was kind of that. And obviously then I became a journalist. And I think obviously it's, while it's entirely fine, I think for people to have had political opinions while they were at university, while they were young, and to then become an impartial journalist, that obviously that's fine. But also I didn't feel necessarily comfortable with all the opinions I had, you know, as someone who publicly had political opinions to still be there. So I kind of didn't want them to be there. I think that's partly as well, you know, the, the general risk of like, could I remember everything I tweeted, you know, when I had sort of like 120 followers and I still had the novelty of being like, it's 3am, I can tweet whatever I want. Yeah, I, I didn't want to sort of like be surprised at some point by sort of like Guido Fawkes or whatever being like, and did you see what Marie Lacombe tweeted on like the 1st of February at 2am in 2012? Yeah. yeah. 
once you reach that sort of weird status of being sort of like popular on Twitter, I suppose, like, you know, being an account that has a certain amount of followers, I think that you do end up tweeting in a way that's very, very different from the way you tweeted when it was just, you know, because at first when I had my account, it was anonymous. Um, and even then, I think for quite a long time, I just had like a bit of a picture, but then only my first name, not my last name. Um, so I, I do think the platform, you know, your user of the platform is always naturally going to evolve. If you had, say, yeah, 500 followers, all of whom were kind of your friends or people had no idea who you were because you're an anonymous account to having 70,000 followers with your full name and your picture and your places of work in the bio. You know, in, in the days of like blogs and the blogosphere, like pre sort of like proper social media, I remember, you know, when we were teens, like we always used to change blogs. I changed blogs roughly every sort of like seven or eight months because I was like no you know new Marie new me I haven't thought of that in ages like, but that is like it's, so, it's such a natural human need but especially in I don't know I would say it goes well into your 20s now but like especially when you're younger to find out who you are and play with your identity and you still change so much how you want to be perceived and, yeah, and, how and, you express and, what, and yeah and now once you've got your twitter handle or your tiktok or whatever you're supposed to just now like stay like that because you've got to build the numbers so if you change it then how will you ever grow that clout and it's so it's so you're supposed to like brand from like 15 onwards and then you sort of like stick to your brand hmm. and it's so it's really hard. nice to see like so it's nice to talk to someone who's like yeah no I deleted all stuff because I wanted it to be uh, this new start and I'm doing this work and like it's nice to, to see someone take ownership of that platform because actually a lot of conversations with social media people feel like the, they don't feel in control of their own platform a lot of the time they feel like they're they're at the behest of all the, of anyone who may follow them, and they have to appear this way. And to take control of that is actually quite cool, I think. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's move on to your worst post. And this is very much the worst post that you you have you have brought. Well, it was a tweet from 2019. I remember you tweeting it. I liked it. <laughs> and uh, I said, I actually liked it. It was in relation to the documentary Knock Down the House with um, AOC. And I just watched it and I was like, oh, yeah. And it was just a really, I thought it was a funny use of word. Um, so uh, Marie tweeted, apologies for the blatantly mean tweet. But this is what AOC's boyfriend looks like. Incredible scenes. Truly representing all the ambitious and stunning millennial women shackled to boyfriends who look like bin raccoons out there. Now, bin raccoons is one of the greatest uh, phrases that I've personally ever heard. Um, and this was just like, a, obviously, like a, a comment on how, you know, 
AOC has this, she's so manicured and she's so like always in a suit and she's so and her boyfriend is very he looks like he's just sort of you know climbed out of bed and is you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of the Ed Sheeran Beyonce performance <laughs> conversation mm. yes of like and AOC talks about it in Not Down the House at the beginning and there's that shot of her in front of the mirror and she's saying like look at all the things I have to do just to show up and so it felt like a tongue-in-cheek comment on that but obviously people received it as a you insulting someone for the way they look but clearly that it was it was a broader concept there do you want to talk about that so i was reviewing uh, the documentary for id magazine um and so i was watching it one like, wednesday i think when you were like weekday morning which as a side note was great because i was like i can't believe i'm in bed watching netflix for work like i feel like you know i've won at life yes. you know it is that quite a funny thing when you watch the documentary because she is so you know she's not so aoc is not just beautiful she's also you know she dresses incredibly well her hair is incredible her makeup is always on point she's got the gold hoops etc so you're going to follow her around and then it was just yeah that the, the shot pans out at some point and then there's this man with this sort of like fucking like bush beard and like t-shirt that's if i remember correctly some like offensive shade of purple um, but you know one of those t-shirts you probably got for free somewhere you know the t-shirt woman would be like fine I can use it for pajamas and men are like yes this is my t-shirt now I will wear it every day and, and yeah and, and I just you know just tweeted it didn't think of it and actually weirdly I think tweeted it and a few people were like oh that's a bit mean and I was like yeah it is um you know um and sort of moved on but I think what was interesting about it was that it only really exploded when the US woke up so in sort of like early mid-afternoon uh UK time uh, but when, you know, and again, I think, you know, that that's something that comes back again and again when discussing kind of tweets that go bad viral, uh, when it's clearly that like people who had no idea who I was, um, and so had no idea that, you know, I would never say earnestly something like, you know, a woman is shackled to someone, like, you know, it was, like, I was clearly joking, it was clearly meant to, um, yeah, to, to be read quite lightly, um, and yeah, and so assumed, I don't know, yeah, it, it was just like, you know, it, it went completely insane. Um, what was the moment that you realised, like, oh, this is actually quite bad? Like, I already had my mentions basically on lockdown at the time, so I could only see tweets from people, uh, replies from people who followed me. Um, and so I knew it was getting a bit of traction, but not much. But then I think, I can't remember, I think, I know then I actively clicked on the tweet um, and I saw, like, thousands of replies and I was like, oh, no, oh, oh, no. Um, but then the second thing was my friend Dave, who messaged me and who was like, I don't want to make you panic, but I think we're getting near the bit of the cycle where AOC will clap back. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So that's when I panicked and deleted it. A few days later, she posted a video on Instagram of her boyfriend getting his hair cut while someone heckles him, Bin Raccoon. Um, and they all laughed. They all laughed. So they clearly is... found it funny. They found it funny. Um, again, it means cruffy, it doesn't mean ugly. I think that was the other things that I meant to say. But like a lot of people took it to mean that I was calling her boyfriend ugly when I was like, no, he's just a scruffy man. She's yeah. very polished, he's very scruffy. And I think that's not really an insult. I mean, it's not a mean insult to say, you know, because if anything, the comments were weird of people being like, well, you know, he didn't ask to be born with that face. That's yeah, very that's mean of you. And it's like, that is not what I said. That is not what I said. You're being the mean one here. Um, but yeah, so she did that. But then, no, oh my God. So there. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, there was a, like a big Vogue profile of AOC um, a few months ago. Uh, that's all you know. Was it like twenty four hours with or like a week with or whatever? And anyway, and there's a point where I think they do talk about the boyfriend. And there's a line about how the boyfriend's mum keeps trolling him by sending him bin raccoon memes. Stop. <laughs> 
Stop. You've become part of their life. Like, you're that you've become. Oh my God, that is so funny. I'm glad that they find it funny and they're enjoying it. If they're fine with it, why is everyone so hit up about it? You've had like a few kind of, or maybe two, maybe um, instances of, of Twitter where you've really felt what Twitter can be like mm. when you have some sort of standing on there and you say something that some people just take out of your hands. How did I deal with it? Not well, not well. Um, I, I think I drank quite a lot, but you know, when you sort of like do like stress mm. drinking and you just, I'm just going to just wine, wine, wine is fine. Wine helps. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, the healthiest kind of drinking, I like to think. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, I, I, it was just shit. No, sorry, I, I feel like I should be, you know, because it happened a while back now, I, I should be able to say, well, you know, looking back, I have all these deep thoughts. But no, it's just really blowed. Essentially, I don't know how I would be able to cope with that. And I think it's it's very, it's, you kind of, you've got your own, you've got a private Twitter account now. Was that mm. in part because of that, to kind of get a bit of control back? Like how, basically, because you still tweet excellent, good, free free tweets on your main account and I'm always really like I admire that because I think I would have I would have run away and I'm not saying that you should have done at all I'm saying that like I'm just amazed that that you you kind of got through it Uh, I I think again that comes back to the fact that like you know I basically use Twitter for me um I I make myself laugh basically and obviously it's a nice bonus when people (laughs) find me funny but I just find myself very funny um no, but more seriously, I don't know. I, I, but I think you know, I do enjoy. Like, I get so I get a bit annoyed at the people who always go on about you know the health side and why am I here and it's so depressing. Why do you log on, whatever? And it's like, well, you know, if you really do hate it to that extent, surely you can actually stop logging on. Whereas you know, I think that you know, I'd rather be quite honest about the fact that I actually really enjoy Twitter. So, you know, but like you know, in, in a lot of different ways. You know, in that a, yes. I've met so many of my friends on there. Uh, I've met people I've dated on there. Um, but also, you know, I laugh, you know, I, I laugh several times a day um, at dumb tweets. Yeah. Uh, I've learned a lot. I've, you know, had access to so many interesting articles I never would have seen otherwise. Great. I'm um, going back to obviously lockdown. So I spent three months, um, you know, in lockdown by myself as one of the most extroverted person, people who's ever lived. Um, you know, and, and obviously I, I would have, you know, I would have completely lost it without Twitter. And I think, you know, that there was a sense of community uh, to that. But then even, you know, in terms of work, so... A lot of the work I found has been through Twitter. I found my agent, my literary agent through Twitter. Like, you know, it, it's, I would not be where I am, but in so many different areas of life, if it weren't for Twitter, if it hadn't been for Twitter. The other account, it's not, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because I think I'd had the idea for quite a long time when I wanted, basically wanted to go back to having about a thousand followers because I thought that was the sweet spot where people suddenly, like, you know, interact with you. Um, and you're not yeah. coming into the void, but also you don't just get, you know, you don't have that thing. Because I think I got to the point with 70 odd thousand followers um, of, you know, anything I tweeted, I was like, OK, well, you know, what's uh, what was the angle here? What am I going to be attacked on? Like, you know, which random corner of Twitter is going to attack me for this? So, yeah, so I think it got to the point where I was like, there is nothing I can tweet, you know, completely stress free. Because there may always be... So, yeah, so eventually mm. I was like, actually, you know, fuck it. And I'll st- I-, I still do use my account occasionally, um, but, but a-, a lot less, a lot less. So in-, in terms of the best tweet, I think I, I actually really struggled to think of, like, what was, like, my favourite tweet. Because, again, I tweet so much. Like, you know, I have tweeted probably, like... No, no, probably tens of thousands of things over the years. Uh, but so I kind of, you know, and also I, I don't have a memory anymore because I think the lockdown has broken my brain. Uh, so I had to go to quite a recent one. My tweet was, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to have to say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will say quite embarrassed because it's a weird thing. Like, it's one thing to type it and send it to 75,000 people. It's another to say that aloud to two people. Uh, okay, to be fair to Rishi, it's true that eating out can help mitigate a weak pound. It's so good. <laughs> it's really clever. So clever. And obviously we're talking about Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, just so everyone knows. The reason why I picked that tweet was not just because it's very funny, even though it is. It, it, it was, I think, that, you know, that's kind of what, I enjoy about Twitter. And I think weirdly those two tweets are the AOC one and that one exists in the same, in the same space in that I think that what I'm both quite good at and quite bad at um, on Twitter is just posting stuff that's a bit too much. Um, And I think that's why my Twitter experience became kind of untenable for like, you know, untenable, sorry, um, after a while, because actually when you do end up tweeting stuff that's like a bit too much, occasionally, like the Rishi thing, people will just be like, that was fucking funny. Congratulations. I enjoyed this, you know, even though I probably shouldn't have. Like, I had people like journalists, like lobby journalists DM me and be like, I obviously can't possibly retweet this, but I laughed a lot. Um, you know, but on the other hand, uh-huh. you know, I, I can clearly, the problem with that is, you know, I, I do clearly end up on the wrong side of a bit too much quite often in terms of like jokes or whatever. Um, and yes, yeah, so it, it was no longer worth the hassle. It is an excellent tweet. Also, I was going to ask anything to do with sex that I ever tweet. I always will get one man called like Jeff and he has like father of two beautiful daughters in his bio. He has two followers and he goes, hello, dear. In the <laughs> end. And it's, it's a sexual thing. And that could be I like I've even just said the word sex, but I meant it in like a gender way. Like it could be anything. It just anything. Actually, once I have talked about this on the podcast before, I tweeted a tweet about bread. And someone was like, you like bread, do you? Winky face. It's like, right, okay. So when you tweet something about sex and you have like 70 odd thousand followers, do you do you get people sliding into D- into your DMs? Do you get like... Yeah, so I think my favourite one of all time in, in that category was that years ago, actually. But I tweeted, so I think I'd been ill. Like I'd had a cold for quite a long time. And I tweeted something along the lines of, wow, just managed to breathe through my nostrils for the first time in seven days. Uh, I swear it was better than about 80% of all the sex I've ever had. Um, which was, you know, true. It was true. Um, it is also a comment on <laughs> yeah, my ex-boyfriends. Okay. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, and, and someone just very earnestly, this man saying this, or like middle-aged man, replied incredibly earnestly. He was like, don't despair, little one. It'll happen one day. Oh, <laughs> So I, I think he genuinely thought I was complaining about not having had, you know, about having had such bad sex that breathing through my nostrils is actually better. And it's like, you ruin everything. No, you just ruin everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. But so that's why I didn't really tweet that much about sex kind of for that reason, even though like, you know, it's, it's a topic I find interesting. And briefly to come back to Tumblr, I think one of the reasons why I like Tumblr is that it's one of the few places on the internet where sex is just a part of, that is just one of the topics and one of yes. the things that happens, which, you know, which mirrors real life. You know, sex is just an aspect of adult life. Um, and I think that is deeply unhealthy that in most parts of the internet, sex has to be hidden and put in a different corners of the internet, not the normal ones. They have to be hidden in the dark. Um, and, you know, and, and yeah, so as a result, you know, it, it is a topic that's quite like to talk about uh, more. But even in terms of policy and stuff, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff about choking recently, kind of like the um, kind of policy changes around the rough sex defence, etc. Um, but yeah, I just didn't really do it on Young Vulgarian because I was just like, no, I, I am a lady. I am a lady on the internet and it will not end well for me if I, yeah, if I tweet anything that implies in any way, you know, that I have taken my clothes off in front of someone else at any point in my life. Well, it's just it's just nuanced those conversations, and social media just isn't the place for that because we have such a black and white view on sex as a topic anyway. And it's like it just like you know the upskirting thing. Like all I was talking about was being upskirted for two years, and 
most of my DMs were like, oh. were you, did you soil your knickers before it happened? I'm hard. Like, do you know what oh. I mean? Like that, and you're talking about being oh. sexually assaulted. So, like, there's clearly not a place for, for any You haven't told me that. Newer. Did you well, not tell me that because you thought I'd have a panic attack? <laughs> yeah, I can't. Imagine if I told you everyone I got. We would never stop. Thank you so much, Marie. That was really fun. And, we love uh, having you on. I love that you've reintroduced Tumblr. Tumblr is back. Yes. I love that. Um, please do follow Marie, and it's at Young Vulgarian on Twitter. Yes. Are you on Instagram? You're on Instagram, aren't you? Is it at Young Vulgarian it as well? It is also at Young Vulgarian. Yeah, and my Tumblr is, at, is Young Vulgarian, so I've not used it in a bit. Great brand. So you should definitely buy her book, Haven't You Heard Gossip, Politics and Power, if you haven't. I've just bought it, so you should buy it too. Hey, yeah, paperback coming out in September. Woo! Please do follow us at Mike Delete Later Pod on Instagram and at Mike Delete Pod on Twitter and email us any guests you'd like to see on the podcast, um, Mike Delete Later Pod at gmail.com. Look, also, maybe subscribe, maybe give us a lovely review. That would be nice. And remember, social media can be funny and silly and it can be Tumblr. But it can also be a lot of people screaming at you for a fun joke. But however you feel about it, if it starts making you feel bad, you can always just delete everything like it. Thank you.